One is tempted to say that we're blessed with an abundance of Jeremiah's at the present moment. Um, This would reflect something true in that we have many people who are sounding alarm bells about the culture, about the election, etc., etc. The difference being perhaps that being a Jeremiah in this climate, you're likely to get uh, thousands of Facebook followers, whereas Jeremiah was quite put out by the establishment and had very few friends. Uh, He was made to practice social distancing, as it were. It's often uh, overlooked the parallels between Jeremiah and the life of our Lord, that both were rejected by men, and according to tradition at least, Jeremiah died a martyr's death after the fall of Jerusalem, uh, after he predicted the fall of Jerusalem. So both Jesus and Jeremiah are connected with the city of Jerusalem, with its downfall, and with death. And the early church, you'll remember when Jesus asks in Matthew's gospel, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Uh, Some of them say Jeremiah, right? So there are many, many parallels. I'd like to focus on some things, though, that our Lord clarifies about suffering and about uh, ostracization and so on. Our Lord, after all, did not practice social distancing. And by this, I don't mean simply that he laid hands on the sick, that he used merciful touch with those who, are, who were depressed, who were unclean, who were fearful. Uh, he is often very reassuring in the physical contact he shows to those around him. But I mean something actually much more intimate than this. These signs are indicative of a much profounder reality, and that is that the Son of God took upon himself everything it means to be human, including even the consequences of sin, even though he himself was free of sinful actions. That is to say, he allowed himself to be infected, as it were, with all the problems of the human condition. And he shares them with us. He he wasn't afraid to come near us, knowing that this would be his lot. We hear today that by coming close to us, knowing our situation from inside, contracting this infection of sin, the Lord is now capable of suffering and even of dying. And this tells us something very, very important about suffering. And there's a lot of suffering right now, so this is an important message today. In my experience, there are two typical emotional responses that we have when we're suffering. And this conditions how we think about and process our suffering. The first, probably, I think this is the one that kids have right away, it's not fair. Why me? Why am I the one suffering? What about him over there? What did I do to deserve this? And this second question starts to move us in the direction of another, I think, more uncomfortable emotional response that we have to suffering, a feeling of guilt. I must have done something wrong, and God is getting back at me. The world is turning on me because I'm not worthy of a good life, not worthy of happiness. I'm suffering because I've I've failed at being a human being. I'm not lovable before God, and God's proving it to me through my suffering. 
So it's quite significant that Jesus, our pioneer of salvation, as he's called in the Hebrews, is made perfect through suffering. He's the perfect man because he suffers. Not, not, he doesn't suffer because there's some flaw in him. He suffers because he's perfect. And this suggests and demonstrates, in fact, that whatever our suffering is, it may or may not be caused by anything that we did other than simply being human. Being alive means being subject to suffering and death. That's a simple fact. And our worth as human beings, our worth before God, is not in any way equatable with how much we suffer or in what way. In fact, it's at least possible that those who suffer more are especially dear to God. And I'll get back to that in a moment. If Jesus, who is true God, can suffer on the cross, this changes the meaning of our sufferings. Our sufferings become opportunities for us to unite ourselves to this perfect man, to unite ourselves to Christ, to unite ourselves, in fact, to God, whose ways are not the world's ways. They're not our habitual ways of thinking. Our acceptance of our suffering allows us to become sanctified, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, as St. Paul says. Jesus actually goes further than this. He's telling us that playing it safe, trying to avoid all suffering, trying to figure out how to buffer ourselves against life, this is the opposite of what we should do. We should rather take up our cross. We should embrace whatever suffering comes our way. This is the way we follow Christ. This is the way we become disciples. And let's be fair, this isn't an easy adjustment to make. And again, I think <laughs> given the, in the emotional stresses of the moment, probably there are some of you saying, oh, see, I, I failed at taking up my cross. <laughs> I'm no good. No, this is just an invitation. Start where you are. It's not an easy adjustment. Peter struggled with this over and over again. That's how I got my name, by the way. When Peter hears the prediction that Christ is going to suffer terribly and be crucified, the worst kind of embarrassing uh, maltreatment one could possibly receive, a sign of one's utter worthlessness before the Roman Empire. When Peter hears this about Jesus, he says this has got to be a mistake. God forbid. It can't be God's will. But without realizing it, Peter, who's trying to articulate a wisdom of the world, a wisdom where good people can avoid suffering, can avoid slander and struggle, Peter discovers suddenly he's actually an adversary of God. To be his disciples requires, in the words of St. Paul again in the second reading, a renewal of our minds. We have to learn to think differently. And this requires us to have a certain detachment. I spoke earlier about how we have an emotional response to suffering, and it changes the way we think. It conditions the way we think. So the first thing is, through faith, to detach ourselves from that emotional response to suffering gradually so we can change the way we think about it and think with the mind of Christ. 
So we let go of fear. We let go not only the fear of pain, but the fear of rejection by others. The fear of appearing worthless because of our sufferings. Many people run away from those who are suffering after all. It's human response. We refuse to accept the... Uh, by, by doing this, by distancing ourselves from this emotional reaction, we also distance ourselves from the platitudes that the world would give us that would empty the cross of its power. And this requires, as I said before, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. And we can do this at any moment by keeping our bodies free of sin, by doing penance when we fall into sin, by using our bodies to serve others, even when it is difficult, by using our voices to praise God. At this moment, when there are so many reasons to feel anxious, perhaps the first thing we can do is accept the situation for what it is, an opportunity to offer our sufferings up, our sufferings from sickness, loneliness, financial straits, whatever it is, and even in some cases right now, violence. We can offer these sufferings up as a living sacrifice, we can unite them to the cross, keep our eyes fixed on that cross, to lay ourselves in the loving hands of Christ, Christ's pierced hands. Whatever sins we have committed, we can ask pardon through our suffering. We can offer up our sufferings for the sins of others whom we love. Maybe we can even offer our sufferings for our enemies, for those with whom we really disagree and think they're wrong-headed. Maybe this will change them in a mysterious way through God's grace. Jesus is our leader because he spurned nothing of our human experience. He shares all of it with us. He wishes to be close to us in everything we do, and especially in those times when we feel the most uh, left alone by others. He is there. And perhaps right now at this moment, he is especially close if we can consent to the transformation of his grace.